Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. Today we come to the final part of our series on the book of Revelation. And we're going to look at the eternal state in chapter Revelation 21 and 22 and see the new Jerusalem, which will be our eternal uh, home. Wonderful. And so the eternal state is described as the climax of the Bible. And uh, it shows that God will fulfill all his plans and purposes. He will glorify us, he will dwell with us, and he will dwell within us for all eternity. So let's start by reading Revelation 21. It says, I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Because, as we said before, the bride of Christ is the inhabitants of that city. A city is defined by her inhabitants. And so she is the bride. And now she comes down from heaven upon the new earth. And heaven and earth uh, come together for all eternity. And it says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the last seven plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great, great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And so this city comes down and lands on the new earth for the eternal state. And it's likened to a bride. And this certainly speaks of its beauty and glory, but now it's identified as a specific bride, the Lamb's wife. So this is talking about the redeemed of all the ages, not just the church, but all the redeemed now form part of the bride. And now they are united into one bride of Christ. Remember, a city isn't primarily its buildings, but its people. So the redeemed all together form the bride of Christ. And that, but they dwell in the city, and they are its glory. So when John is told to look at the bride of Christ, he sees this city, because that's where the bride is living, and she is identified with it. The glory shining out of the bridegroom and the bride, in other words, the glory shining out of Christ and all his redeemed in their glorified bodies, forms the light of the city. We're going to see that. And so it is shining with the glory of the bride. So when he sees the city, he's seeing the glory of the bride shining out of it. It says it it shone with the glory of God. Her light was like the most precious stone, like jasper stone, clear as crystal. So the overall effect is like a gigantic, sparkling, brilliant, beautiful jewel. As God's glory through his bride shines out of this crystal clear 
beautifully cut diamond. It glitters with all the colours of the rainbow. It says, also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, twelve angels at the gates with names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three on the east, three on the north, three gates on the south and three on the west. And here we get a picture of perfect symmetry and order. Twelve is the number of governmental per perfection and that's a key number for this city. And the, the great wall and the guarded gates symbolize perfect security. No one can enter the city that doesn't belong there. And Israel's enduring place in the God's eternal plan as his elect nation is shown here because it's named after the 12 tribes on the gates. And likewise for the church it says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the name, names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so, uh, as it were, that, that the apostles are also memorialized within the city. And all the redeemed of all the ages will be united together as one bride in one city. And then it says, he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, its length as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Now that's about 1,400 miles. Its length, breadth and height are equal. Now, the exact measurements indicate that this is a real city, not a symbolic one. Its most impressive feature is its height. It's 1,400 miles high, high, miles high. Now, it's as, as long, it's as high as it's long. Now, when you think that planes may fly to, say, maybe five miles high, that would just be the very lowest levels of this city. So it's, it's, it's enormous. And so it's not a, like a city on two dimensions, it's three-dimensional, many, many layers on top of each other. And so there is a massive amount of room for all the billions of redeemed men and angels. It just fits inside the moon. It's not a cube shape as some would have it, but I believe it will be a square-based pyramid, like a, it's called Mount Zion, Mount Jerusalem, the mountain of the Lord. So it's a pyramid with a throne on the top, and then the river of life flows down from the throne at the top, watering the whole city. And so there's room for us to have mansions there. There's room for anything you might imagine or desire. Parks, country estates, gardens, paradises, all kinds of flowers and animals. Probably the closer you get to the throne, the greater the degree of glory will be. And uh, part of our reward, I suppose, is where we will live in that city and what kind of mansion. And wherever we live, it will be fully satisfying to us. The atmosphere will be full of life and joy and love, all the fruit of the Spirit, beautiful colors and musical sounds that are beyond what we've experienced in this life. Everything will be alive, joyful, exciting, vibrant, full of life, no shadows or darkness. The difference between the natural and the spiritual realms will disappear because inward and outward realities will fuse into one. There'll be no barriers. Everything outward will be a perfect expression of spiritual qualities and realities. And then we read, then he measured its wall, 144 cubics. That's only 250 feet. According to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. Its construction of its wall is of jasper, that's diamond, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass, transparent gold. Now, relative to the size of the city, the wall is tiny. 
It's like a pavement curb against the Empire State Building. And this actually means that the wall is not actually needed because now the Kingdom of Darkness is completely subdued because you need walls to keep enemies out, but the enemies have been defeated. The city with its walls is entirely transparent, shimmering with different colours, and the main material is transparent gold. The foundations have all kinds, there is adorned with all kinds of precious jewels. It says the first foundation was jasper, that's crystal clear. The second, sapphire, which is blue. The third, chalcedony, that's greenish. The, the fourth, emerald, that's green. The fifth, sardonyx, is red and white. The sixth, sardius, is fiery red, blood red. The seventh, chrysolite, is golden yellow. The eighth, beryl, is aqua green. The ninth, topaz, is golden green. The tenth, chiraphrase, is blue-green, the eleventh jacinth is violet, and the twelfth amethyst is purple. And all these stones actually share the, the special property of being transparent to pure polarized light. And that's interesting. Even today's jewels are transparent to polarized light. And, uh, and so they act like a prism. And these pr a prism that these stones allow the pure light of the glory of God through and produce a variety of beautiful colors. Then it says the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl. So pearls are unique among jewels in that they're formed through an injury in an oyster. Uh, and, and so in a sense, also the kingdom is formed through the wounding of Christ. And, uh, and so... I think it, it really is saying that these pearly gates indicate that the entrance to the city is only through the sufferings of Christ and, and through the injury of Christ, as it were, you know, we, are, uh, we, we join ourselves to the wounds of Christ and we form that pearl. And so only through Christ's sufferings can we enter in the gates of the city. And the street of the city, it says, was pure gold like transparent glass. And gold represents the divine nature. And so the city has one main street of transparent gold. And the transparent nature of the city also means that the light and the glory of God can shine freely through it without being blocked. So it's like one huge multifaceted jewel sparkling with glory and beauty. And then it says... I saw, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. That's an interesting statement. The temple has two components, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. There's no need for temple buildings anymore because now somehow the truth of what a temple is is, is now part of, of the people that are, are in there. The whole city is filled with God's presence and glory, so there's no need for any special place of worship. There's no further need for temple buildings because actually all temple buildings are pictures of God's ultimate temple, which is now complete and perfect in the eternal state. See, a, a temple has two essential elements. First of all, the temple itself, the dwelling place for God. And secondly, the God, God himself, whose presence and glory indwells the temple. So God's ultimate temple is described as consisting of these two things. First of all, the Lamb, Christ. And notice the Lamb emphasizes his humanity because it's in his humanity that he died for us as the Lamb. 
And this is the hint that we're included in this temple because Christ is the temple in his humanity and if we are in Christ, we are the body of Christ, we are part of the Lamb. He is the temple and we are in him, united to him through his human nature, through his blood, and so we are now, as it were, living stones built into the temple which is Christ. We are the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body, but we have, we are both called Christ. So he is the prototype, he's the chief cornerstone, the foundation of this temple, and we are in him, built upon him as living stones. So, this reference, talking about the temple as the Lamb, includes all believers in Christ. So the first part of this temple is redeemed humanity in union with Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The other element of the temple is called the Lord God Almighty, the old sovereign, the sovereign deity who indwells now permanently his human temple. So all temples are a picture of Christ uh, and redeemed man. In other words, uh, God indwelling man, that's the ultimate temple of God, man in Christ, indwelt by the presence of God. So they don't need temple buildings because we will be the temple with God's glory indwelling us. And so all temples represent God's purpose, ultimate purpose for man, and that will be fulfilled in eternity. No temple will be needed anymore, praise God, because now God's people in Christ are the eternal temple of God. Well, then Revelation goes on and says, The city has no need of the sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So this same, this Lamb, which is the temple, is also the light of the city. Uh, this does not say that there won't be a sun or moon, but it basically says the city doesn't need them for the light. It has its own light source. The glory of God shining out of its people. Remember, the, the Lamb is its light. So it's the glory shining out of the Lamb, out of Christ. But remember what we said, that that includes us. We are in Christ. And so it's the glory of God shining out of all of the redeemed. That is the light source for the city. A temple is actually called, the temple was called the light of the world. A temple is meant to be a light. It's designed to radiate the light of God's presence and glory. So having identified the Lamb, that's redeemed humanity in Christ as the eternal temple of God, we are now told that this temple of redeemed humanity is the light for the city. And so the city is lit by the glory of God, shining out of his temple, Christ, and all of us who are in Christ. And this is confirmed in the very next verse. It says, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into it. Notice, the saved in Christ we are, we will reign as kings with Christ for all eternity and because we're glorified saints at this point we will shine like the stars as Daniel 12 says we will all radiate and possess the glory of God uh, according to our eternal reward and so each saint, the kings of the earth bring their glory and honour into the city and we will all contribute therefore to the total light of the city Revelation goes on and says, Its gates will not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. Well, the gates will never be shut, as it will. there, there is no night. It's eternal day. 
and so the gates are never shut and the glory of God will be there all the time. There'll be no darkness or night. We won't need to sleep. And again it says, they will bring the glory and the honour of the nations into it. So the saved of all the nations will bring their glory into the city. Then it says, but there will be no, by no means enter into it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then we go into Revelation 22. This completes the description of eternity with a vision of the river of life and the tree of life. Remember, that was lost in the Garden of Eden, um, but now it's all going to be restored. Everything that was lost is restored times a trillion. And uh, this tree of life and river of life reminds us of Eden, which was watered by a river, and it had a tree of life. It had the tree of life. And so God will restore all that was lost in Eden and a lot more. He will bring all things to perfection and restore what has been lost. Praise God. This passage shows that all the effects of sin will be obliterated and what God intended for man will be restored forever. Let's read. He showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing or the health of the nations. And the river of life flowing from the throne of the Father and the Son is also a revelation of the procession in the life of the Trinity. For the Spirit flows from the Father and the Son, or really from the Father through the Son. The river flows down the middle of the main street, and the tree of life extends along its main length. The street for such a large city means the street system. And the system must have a three-dimensional arrangement because it's a 3D city. And so this river will no doubt divide into various branches as rivers do. Just like in the Garden of Eden, divided into four. So it's got to divide into four main rivers that go out of the four north, south, east and west sides of the city. And so it will start from the throne at the top and then it will flow down. And the river and street will descend directly down each of the four sides of that pyramid mountain to connect with the three, uh, with the gates on each side. And uh, there'll be all kinds of amazing design features that we can't even really imagine. And so the tree of life will be available everywhere and the river of life will be available everywhere. And the fruit is not to cure sickness so much, but eating it imparts more health and blessing and strength, as will drinking from the river of life. And it's interesting that it talks about months, that they bear fruit every month. So we will still experience the passing of time through eternity. There'll always be what's happened in the past and what will be in the future. You know, some people think there's no time in eternity, but... In fact, Revelation 10.6, it says there will be time no longer in the King James. But really that means there will be delay no longer. So we'll still experience the passing of time. And the tree of life will be like a monthly clock. Um, because as for us as creatures, we will always experience past and future. 
a before and an after. And so we will continue to grow and develop and learn throughout all eternity. And that keeps it exciting. There will always be new things to discover because God is infinite. And so we will never reach the fullness of God. There will always be more to look forward to. And that's why hope, as well as love and faith, are eternal things. There's always expectation of something better in the future. And uh, our wonder will never stop as God reveals more and more to us. And so I'm sure our experience of time will be somewhat different and we'll be less limited by it, but it still exists. Then Revelation 22, 3 to 5, it is a very important summary passage for what it will be like for us in eternity. It says, There'll be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his, first his servants will serve him. And then it says they will see his face. So we'll be busy in eternity worshipping and serving God. And then secondly, they will see his face. That means we will know him face to face, fellowship. We'll have intimate communion with God. And uh, then it says his name will be on their foreheads, which, which means his character, his nature will be imparted to our beings. We will belong totally to God. We will be like him. His divine nature will be impressed upon us. And then it says there will be no more night there. They will need no lamp or light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light. And so there will be a constant eternal ages of light, of glory, of revelation, always increasing revelation of God's glory and wisdom. And then it says, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so we will reign with God forever and ever. We'll reign over the angels, for example. God's going to put on an eternal show and demonstration, display of his glory and grace. That's what it says in Corinthians. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And Ephesians says that um, when God saved us by his great love, he loved us. He made us alive together with Christ and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, the eternal ages to come, he might show or demonstrate the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. In other words, God's going to demonstrate the exceeding riches of his grace from age to age in eternity. He's prepared an eternally unfolding demonstration of his eternal amazing grace for us. The best thing is that it will last forever and ever. So let us make sure that we are there and that we help as many people as possible to enjoy this amazing eternal future rather than suffering eternal punishment in the lake of fire. You see, Revelation here reveals the consummation of God's plan and purpose, the bride and bridegroom united forever in love and joy. You know, as we, we, we must take the book of Revelation seriously because at the end of the book of Revelation, in the end of, of the book, it says, Jesus says, you know, I'm coming quickly. He says it three times. I'm coming quickly and then it will be too late. You have to make your decision. You need to be ready. And he says, don't ignore the words of this book. Anyone who takes away from the words of this book, he's, he's in danger of losing his place in the blessings of God. And if anyone adds to the words of this book, 
then, you know, the judgments will be added to him. So ignore the book of Revelation at your peril because it is God's last word to mankind to tell us what is going to happen in the future. Are you going to spend your eternity in hell or in heaven? It all depends whether your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. There are two final eternal homes and destinies. The lake of fire, if you want to spend eternity with Satan there, if by rejecting God, or an eternal destiny in the new Jerusalem with God. And once you've made your decision, you can't change your mind. It will be set for all eternity. Each and every person has this life to choose, and time is running out. No decision, to make no decision, is actually a choice to die without Christ and be lost forever, separated from God's goodness. So make sure you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. He's the Son of God who became the Son of Man. He loves you. He proved it by dying on the cross for you. And he paid the penalty for your sins so you don't have to go to the lake of fire. He purchased a place in heaven for you, an eternal life for you, so you can be with him forever. He rose from the dead on the third day. He's alive forevermore. He, and he offers you forgiveness and eternal life as a free gift. But you have to respond to him. You have to turn from your sin of going your own way, trying to save yourself. You must put all your trust in Christ and give your heart and your life to him. He stands at the door of your heart and he knocks and he says, if you will open that door to him, he will come in with, into your heart and he will give you his eternal life. He will forgive and cleanse your heart and make you a brand new person. He'll give you his life and his spirit. He comes in also as your Lord because he's God and he will sit in the throne of your heart. Just ask him for forgiveness of your sins. Give your life to him. Call on the name of the Lord, the Bible says, and you will be saved. When you come to Jesus and receive him, you will become a child of God. You will possess eternal life. He will not turn you away. He'll take you in. And then once you've done that, declare boldly that Jesus is your Lord. Because the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And once you've done that, start telling people about it and help get them to heaven. My series on the book of Revelation, which goes right from the beginning all the way through to the end, verse by verse, is, was actually 29 messages in all of half an hour. And we've had at requests that uh, people can have the whole series together. So we've put these series on seven DVDs and you'll get all 20 nine episodes on seven DVDs and it will be 70 pounds and you will have all of those teachings together on that DVD series which you can use to to show in in home groups and in different contexts so let me encourage you to get the whole series thank you for watching you can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel you're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.